0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. If you listen listened to Bullseye for a while, you know this already, but every guest that we have on our show has made work that I personally care about and admire. Sometimes you've heard of them already, sometimes you haven't. I'm guessing that my next guest probably falls into the latter category. So, hear me out. He's a guy from New Zealand. His name is Tom Scott. He's in his 30s, lives in Auckland. He has a kid. He's been working in hip-hop for about a decade. He's one of the most important figures in New Zealand hip-hop, but financially that doesn't mean a ton. Last year, he put out an album under the name Avondale Bowling Club. And it was, to be honest, stunning. It's a hip-hop record with jazz instrumentation. Real jazz, not just four- and eight-bar loops of jazz records, pushing forward in the territory that Kendrick Lamar staked out with To Pimp a Butterfly. It's also an incredibly personal album. He named it after the suburb of Auckland, where he grew up. It's where he lives now, too. Scott raps about his childhood, the places he's been, the people he doesn't see anymore, his family... It's one of my favorite records of the last year. I think you'll really like it, too. Let's take a listen to a song off of Avondale Bowling Club. This one is called Old Dogs.
0: Yeah, one or two days. And we were chilling at the park Feeling like a miller at the ark Killing it like stocks at the garden, filling myself, my self esteem can't be guarded. Been on my car in San Diego, just got back from France, and I got a little bit of that Parisian steeds in me still. My knees are grown hill, but I still feel like filled I'm on that senting, feel like I just won my tenth ring. I'm on. I could shoot the sun, and the would when rain from half quarters, pouring shots falling
1: Like Tom Scott, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, bro. Appreciate I appreciate uh, it. I was thinking that this record feels like it is kind of about growing up and yep. you're you're well into your 30s at this point. Uh, were you not a grown up before?
2: Huh. I'm not a grown up as is. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still growing. I felt like there was some kind of, you, you have to take um, checkpoints, you know. Someone tweeted the other day, every time you look in the mirror is a checkpoint. So that was pretty buzzy. But, um, yeah, I think sometimes at the completion of an album it's kind of like that. It's like a checkpoint to see where you are. You start to realize what's changed between records and, yeah, see see how much you've matured from the last time. And I like to tell myself that I'm still maturing and going somewhere, so, yeah.
1: Hip-hop isn't always the medium for maturing, and I say that as, like, a pretty serious hip-hop fan.
2: Yeah, but fair enough. It hasn't really had, you know, still only 40 years old you know um that's that's a young art form and there's not really a template for how to do it jay-z's kind of showing us some way to do it but it's pretty easy to be a cool mature rapper when you're (laughs) (laughs) multi-millionaire but try to tell your your friends you're a 34 year old rapper when you're when you got my income
1: as a guy in my 30s myself, I feel like I, I really related to that song, Old Dogs, not because I can still, you know,
2: knock down trays on the basketball court, which I absolutely <laughs> cannot. Me neither. <laughs> but it's about belief. You know, you have to tell, ta- you can't shoot to miss, my brother told me the other day. He's a professional. He said, you can't shoot to miss, because especially in our country, we got this humility that, you know, we we got to keep it humble in, in New Zealand. We're at the bottom of the world, da 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 But we often just shoot Like as long as it hits the ring I won't look stupid You know But I think you gotta Be willing to airball. That's what he was trying to tell me I don't know if that's a metaphor But That's where the cockiness In that verse comes from It's like telling yourself Like you got this You got this And I I think you You learn more about How to shoot You learn more about You know I, I, I can't beat some of these kids Off the dribble anymore But I can see the court a bit clearer I think. At least I tell myself that to keep the shoes on.
1: Do you get that feeling when you're uh writing or on the microphone?
2: Yeah, definitely. It's funny you, you start to master your craft by the time you're relevant. Um <laughs> especially as a rapper. Maybe not so much as a as a jazz bassist or something. But yeah, it's definitely like that. Um, and then trying to find a place where what you have to say should be heard is as a, as a, as a weird one as a 34-year-old.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what the hip-hop scene is like in New Zealand? New Zealand is a, a small country. I mean, I, I looked it up, and, and fewer people live in New Zealand than live here in Los Angeles.
2: Yeah. I'd like to say it's a bunch of dispossessed people. A lot of people that relate to the art form for the reason it was created. A lot of people that have things to say about um, the state of politics, whether they deliberately say those things or not. They have those things that they need to say and um, they gravitate towards this art form uh, because there's more freedom to speak on those things. It's almost encouraged, I I guess. Yeah, People from working-class neighbourhoods, the majority of those people being Polynesian people. It came it came to New Zealand from a Samoan dude called uh, Sugar Pop, I believe, who came from California, visited California, came down, started popping. And yeah, I mean, the hip-hop scene is like anywhere else in the world. It's a, it's a little scene of people that get together. Yeah, these days, I guess, it's getting more and more popular. It's pretty hard to speak about. It's like dancing about architecture. But, um, yeah, that's my best description.
1: Is it a job? I mean, can you tour in New Zealand and make a living? Nope <laughs>
2: you can you can like i mean there's I'm just in the studio at the moment with the bro that I just met, and he we were just talking about what it is to be a musician um and the all the other side hustles that you have to have as a musician in New Zealand, and the bro does you know he records a bunch of adverts and things like that. And then when the doors are shut, he makes his own stuff. And I think that's what a lot of us do. Um, You know, we wash dishes, we paint houses, we play in bands we might not really love, things like that. But that's how we're all getting through this world. I think we're all compromising our integrity throughout the day to, to keep the landlord fat.
1: I want to play a little bit of Pocket lint from your album Avantel Bowling Club. Sure.
0: My lady lay like the rent I'm staying Every cent that I made I spent Cut the check and I paid my pen Now all I got is this pocket man Bank of world ain't my friend Man that owned the land ain't my kid Fingers crossed at the ATM All I got is this pocket lint. Pocket lint.
1: avondale is a real place can you tell me about it
2: avondale i'm from a place called avondale um yeah Uh, tell you about that i just spent a whole album telling you about that um (laughs) it's a it's a working class neighborhood it's the most Diverse neighbourhood in the country, other than a place called Porirua, um. So it's full of Polynesian people, Maori people, uh, Indian people, Chinese, Nigerian, and it's one of the last places in Auckland to still not be gentrified. In fact, the gentrification even just jumped over Avondale and went to New Lynn. Like, mm, we'll come back here. <laughs> um. So it's a it's a place that we're still fighting for because I I believe it's like. It's a template for utopia. It's not utopia, but it's some kind of like blueprint for it. Um, because you, you all, I don't know. I'm I'm going to get into some We Are the World if I if I'm not careful here. But yeah, it's a beautiful place, and and it's and it's something I believe in. It's one of the only things I believe in, to be honest. Um, so I stand proud for it, and I've always tried to put it on the map and speak about it. Um. yeah it, it, it's my home it's the place that, that I associate with as as home
1: you left and came back right?
2: yeah I went to Melbourne um, just cause in New Zealand there's only so much you can do before you've you know outgrown the fishbowl not that it's a beautiful fishbowl I, I I like the fishbowl but yeah I had to jump so I went to Melbourne Um, went looking for something over there and it was a li- little bit harder than i'd expected i was i was really growing into into the city and then my girlfriend got pregnant my fault she she didn't just get pregnant i impregnated her and then we came home yeah that's about the story there
1: why did you decide to come home
2: <sighs> um we came home because i wanted my son to be from here i don't want to sound like a nationalist or anything like that, but I just wanted my son to be raised in this place because I I value everything about this this place, and, and I just didn't think he'd get those opportunities in Australia as much as the money was better in Australia and the, the fishbowl was bigger in Australia. There's just something about New Zealand, about Aotearoa, that's just, yeah, I, val- I, I realised I valued it once I left it.
1: When I think of the place I grew up, there are, like, particular spots that hold a lot of meaning for me.
2: Yes, bro. Yeah.
1: Um, and I wonder what those spots are for you with Avondale.
2: I know exactly what those spots are for me. It's it's funny. Like, it's the same spots you ran to when your mom sent you to your room, you know? The same spot you jumped out the window and went to. Um, and for me, it's this one... It's the end of Avondale Road. There's a creek there. And I I went there when I was a kid and we climbed the pylons. I went there when I was a teenager and we smoked weed. And I still go there as an adult when I'm anxious. I still just go there. It's a old creek that you wouldn't want to swim in, but we did as kids. And yeah, it's still that place and it's still that same basketball court that I went to as a kid. Um, yeah, I think maybe like we were saying, it's those spots that are familiar, And they're just so rich in, in data, you know, in, in um, data of, of memories, you know, like, yeah, they're just so rich, so they just seem so lit up, some, something about those places, yeah. I'm probably under no illusion that the, some of these things are constructs of my mind. I'm, like, under no illusion that when I speak of home, it's probably not a physical place. But maybe it's just that, you know, I can sit there and see this sort of augmented reality of the past. You know, I can like, lay it over this creek, the kids that we were playing in it. Lay it over this creek, are, um, you know, the teenagers that we were sitting there with a box of beers. It's really just a template. It's really just a, a background for memories, you know, to put Layer memories on, so even if eventually there's a a big um, sweatshop built on top of that creek, I can probably still see under it. So I still value those physical places for some reason, you know. But yeah, they ch- they change. But I I just don't think. I mean, they're just such a, a a great way to generate memories when you go to those places. It just sparks memories. So, I value those places, and yeah, I'm aware they change. But also, I think gentrification kind of teaches you what's important. There's a um saying, a Maori saying, that goes he tangata, hetangata, he tangata. and that just means the people, the people, the people. Yeah, the Maori have a saying, "tangata whenua," that means the people of the land. And so, um, when I'm Glamorizing and romanticizing this land, this you know, this place, it's really not about the land. It's about the people, and I think that's what I've um I've learned through the gentrification of our neighborhood. If if um they push us out, I'll just follow the people, you know, I'll follow the nomadic people to wherever they push us, and I won't be too concerned that they want that piece of land because it's just a piece of land. Yeah.
1: Let's hear uh, Avondale Bowling Club and Home.
0: Get back, oh. Looking out the window on the plane Ranger been on the windows to my soul Three years now that I've been away A little fish had a bigger bowl When I touched down on the wrong way Gonna run straight to my mom, waiting at the gate. Get the duty free for the old man. Drinking with him till I can't stand. Never been so lonely. But when I get home, gonna head up to a homie. Then we'll get slow. See my nana my grandpa. These days only see him on a the laptop. These days I ain't got a day to have off. Been away so long, when I get back I'm a hip, I the app on a hippocot air on Dell Dan So. Never to my back home. Where I'm from when I'm back, then it's back home. When
1: I heard about your most recent record on uh, a message board on the internet, which actually still exists. And the post was like, you wouldn't believe it if I said that this was a jazz rap record from New Zealand that is really good, you might not think that that makes any sense. <laughs> and I thank goodness that they, that they put it in that context. Because <laughs> if they had just said, this is a great jazz rap record from New Zealand, I would have been like, okay, fine, whatever. Enjoy uh, remaking Guru's Jazzmatazz or whatever for, uh, <laughs> with different local references. Um, but when I listened to it, what I thought was, it is so hard to combine the aesthetics of jazz and hip-hop. And usually when someone says jazz hip-hop, what they what they mean is they are pulling a sample from a jazz record, like, you know, a, usually yeah. a, a sort of soul jazz record, like Lou, Lou Donaldson or something like that. Just, just pulling yeah. four bars from it and looping them up and yeah. adding a little bit harder drums. Like, they're using it the same way that they would use... Uh, you know, the same way that they would use a sample from a, from a Journey record.
2: You know yeah, what I mean? straight sure sure up. You know,
1: it sounds different.
2: And most journalists would probably still go, oh, it's got jazzy undertones yeah. so if it was a Journey <laughs> record, you know?
1: I think that your record is much more a, a jazz record uh, than most records that are called jazz rap records. And I, I wonder if that was intentional
2: and why you made that choice yeah i i i think I was well aware of everything you just mentioned um and the jazz I was listening to was jazz, so I wanted to make that i wanted to make it sound like Ferris Sanders, not like guru I wanted it to have the musicianship of a jazz record of a blue note record or of a strata east record um yeah and so that's how I set out to do it. And then it was inevitable that people were going to call it jazz rap because it had jazz and rap in it. And I just love jazz music, and I wanted to try to add something to that legacy. And it's really hard to do because it's not mine to take. And it's, um, You know, I just went to a jazz gig on Monday, an, an amazing gig, but if no one was dancing. No one was dancing. Maybe because it was in 5-7 or something, I don't know, but it still seemed a bit backwards, like where jazz is these days and what it means. It's kind of sad, like it's gentrified, you know. Like it's like this, like wanky intellectual music that it it doesn't have to be like. So it's such a dangerous um, weapon to play with, but yeah, that's that's what it was. I, I and and there's just so much you can do with it. It's just. I feel like I could make another seven albums with this formula and they'd all be different. So, yeah, I'm just... I, I just want to honor all the greats that taught me the things I understand about this music and, yeah, and hopefully not on, on what it is.
1: Are you an instrumentalist?
2: No, far from it.
1: So how do you make a record like this?
2: Uh... you're kind of forced to, I guess. Yeah. A lot of the time when I try to explain um, how the record was made, it feels like I'm saying that I was kind of forced to do it because I don't really know much about mixing or engineering or anything. I just know what chords speak to me. And so I would just find those chords through samples and things like that. And then I'd just try to make them more interesting by getting friends I knew to um add to them. Whether it was Julian Dine on drums or um Jonathan Crayford on Keys or Guy Harrison, da 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 all these people that I was lucky enough to know, I just got them to add to it. And then accidentally through that I guess I was kind of a producer. Um but I had a lot of um friends that helped me as well. Um I through that I accidentally became some sort of producer, I guess. Producer. I'm a producer. I produce things in it. Um and yeah. That's that's what it is, I guess. But I think every I think rappers probably a lot of the time get undervalued as producers. Like it's often probably assumed that the rapper had nothing to do with how the record sounds, you know? And I think that's probably wrong a lot of the time. Um Yeah, so maybe that will be a nice myth to bust. Um But yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think Kanye West could sit down at a piano and play The Entertainer. Um. Um. But like, you know, Kanye West is a, a, is a guy who came from sample-based production, you know, like certainly Kanye West knows his way around an MPC, a, a sampler. Um, but I don't think he likely even puts hands on the MPC much anymore. What he is doing is, but but at the same time, I don't think his music is any less his for it. Like, uh, I I don't think there's any doubt that whether there's a guitarist in there or a guy who brought a stack of records or uh, whatever, it is all coming from. it, It is all coming from the producer on those on those records, and the producer is Kanye West. And I would say the same even of you know you know I'm sure it's the same for. Kendrick Lamar, a guy who doesn't, who's probably never made a beat in his life. Um, yeah. That definitely. It, it's clear that someone is in charge of those records or they would all sound different.
2: Yeah. And maybe there's not a um, particular title that you can give because we always want to, um, you know, like, we always want to give that title. Like, oh, he's not just a rapper, he's a rapper slash uh, producer slash, you know, but maybe it's a bit more complicated and those titles are easy way for us to sort of put things in the boxes. Like, you know, people often, when, you know, they want to call a rapper a poet, but, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. a rapper is just a rapper who's poetic. Um, I get really mad so when you, people call you know, rappers poets. Yeah, you know? I'm like, it's, you, you, and, and, you know what?
1: Rappers are bad poets, but you know what? Poets are bad rappers.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, straight, straight up. That that's That's why we try to avoid calling people rappers in the first place, because... No one wants to own it, like you know. Everyone wants to try to pretend there's something bigger than that, but in doing so, you lose all the best ones because the best ones don't want to admit that they are rappers, and so now we're calling them all poets. Like, yeah, it's kind of dangerous. I like to, I like to own the genre of hip hop and and claim it because yeah, it's it's an intricate genre, and there's so much more to it than the box that um, people want to put all the rappers in.
1: More with Tom Scott from Avondale Bowling Club when we come back from a break. Ahead, this record took Tom years to make. He says he lost $10,000 in making it. I'll ask him if it changed anything about him. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. We all have wild ideas, but rarely do we get to see our wildest ideas come to life. Started by adventure journalist Shelby Stanger, and brought to you by REI, Wild Ideas Worth Living is a podcast that explores everything from mindfulness in school to adventures in space, overcoming fear and learning how to unplug. Ideas that started big and wild and never stopped growing. Learn more or listen now. Search for Wild Ideas Worth Living. It's Ali Kokesh, one of the cast members of Mission to Zix, a new addition to the Max Fun network. We're blown away by the welcome we've received from Max Fun listeners, telling us you've discovered the show and are binging it hard, supporting us during the drive, and just being rad humans all around. Mission to Zix is an improvised, obsessively sound designed sci fi comedy epic, following a group of ambassadors as they explore the ass end of space. I play Dar, the twelve-foot-tall, omnisexual security officer with furry scales, chest talons, and a series of flaps and shoots that are for—nah, you know what? You'll figure it out. We'd be delighted if you joined our crew aboard the aging sentient starship, the Bargerian Jade, as we travel the Zix Quadrant, meeting all sorts of weird aliens played by brilliant guest comedians. That's Mission to Zix, Z Y X X. America has a long history of white nationalism, and its influence reaches farther than you might think. You can go back and you can read the New York Times coverage. You can read Hitler saying, It was America who taught us we should not open our arms equally to other nations. This week on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking to Tom Scott. He's a rapper based in New Zealand, he's been making records for about 10 years. A few months back, he released a really beautiful album under the name Avondale Bowling Club, one of my favorites from last year. Let's get back into the interview. Let's hear some of Years Gone By, which is the opening track of the self-titled album from my guest Tom Scott, Avondale Bowling Club.
0: I cut another tree down a pass the time, While I watch a lifetime pass me by Looking back on old days, glossy eyes Watching years go like my auntie's mom We used to sit up in the car, park and ride Now a night like that, it's hard to find Looking back on old times, I can't rewind Talking to my old friends, that aren't alive No more, the years gone by
1: This song was a single, it's also like five or seven <laughs> minutes long And it's basically your entire autobiography Hmm it's the story. It's the story of your life, more or less, year by year. Hmm. Was was that a hard thing or an easy thing to write?
2: I guess it was both, because hey? it's cathartic, but I also had to be quite specific. And um, to be honest, I probably don't remember most of my life. But maybe maybe that was just me, like putting together a little um, bunch of stuff to identify with, because I have no memory. Um, maybe I smoked it away, I don't know But I really don't remember most of my life Most times people tell me things I'm like, true, I did that, that's interesting um, So maybe that's why I wrote that But yeah, it was, it was hard to to sum up um, A whole year in, in two bars or sometimes four But um, it's probably easier than writing a whole autobiography Like, you know at least it ends in seven minutes <laughs> but but yeah i I, th- I think it is I think there's something interesting about trying to recall your whole life because you know every time you you bring a memory up you uh you taint it right with where you are remembering it um so it's really hard to know what really happened in your life. And and how much how much weight you should place on each moment, I think that causes a lot of mental health issues. You know, like how how much we think our our parents weren't there for us, or you know what I mean? Because you really can't. You can even the trauma you only remember a couple days of it, and and how how important was that compared to the other years where everything wasn't traumatic um i think those were some of the difficulties in in writing that song just making sure not to um accidentally disrupt my whole um reality you know by conjuring up these memories um and giving them too much power yeah
1: i mean the whole album is kind of elegiac it's it's about what has what is irrevocably gone like it's about the past and mm. and memory but like it's in a particular way it's it's not so much about living in that as just that that will never be yeah. Yeah. again because
2: it's past yeah. interesting eh? and but and then sometimes it's just dangerous to think that we can ever recall it you know like because it is gone it's totally gone and and It's like trying to paint a car that just went past, you know? Like, you'll do your best impression. You know how things don't even hold up in court, like um, testimony from witnesses and things, you know? And how much that is um, disproof against memory being, you know? Like, how fallible memory is. I'm quite obsessed with that and, and interested in that idea. So, yeah, I don't know how much weight you should put into memory. But I... I'm guilty of reminiscing, for sure.
1: Both memory and hip-hop, and especially on this record, are like, in a way, acts of editing. You know, like, creating music from other music is about capturing these, like, little fleeting moments. I mean, there's, there's, there's hip-hop that recreates old music substantially. You know, that was the the golden age of uh Puff Daddy solo singles. He was practically rapping over disco instrumentals. But mm-hmm. mostly it's about capturing these little these little pieces as they like grabbing them as they float by and saying, like, you know, what if what if we built the whole airplane out of the black box? Mm. And mm. and I feel like memory is the same thing, like and and this song is the same thing. Like it's you just picking the l- little pieces, because there's no way to fit your life into a song. Mm. But it's just these little things that that stick out. You know, your your MC Hammer tape and mm. track number nine on "All Eyes on
2: Me," hmm. and those are maybe the things that you're built upon. Eh? But then that's I think that's also what I'm saying is that you don't. I want to remember more. I want to remember that there was a lot more. Um, but I guess after a while you can't, or maybe you just can't access it. I want
1: to, I want to ask you about a few of the things that you rap about in, uh, years gone by, the, the autobiographical track on this record. When you were a kid, uh, y- y- you, say in, in 92, my drunk dad dumped, sh- jumped ship
2: on my mom. Um, yeah. How, how old were you? I think I was about, wait, 92, six, eight. Yeah, I was eight. Um, I think it's a bit rough that I said that. I that when in saying that line, I was like, oh, it wasn't totally my dad's fault, but it kind of was. He he was seeing another lady. My mum went to. He's a he's a bass player. So one day, my mum decided to go to um, check one of the. He, he's like, you know, I got a gig tonight. I'll see you later. Um, da da And I guess my mum's intuition was like, I'll go see what he's up to. And she went along and saw that he was with another girl. Da, 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 da. Anyway, they broke up. But I remember the day my mom told me, like, me and your dad aren't going to be living in the same house anymore. And all I said was, all right, that's cool, can I go outside and play basketball now? And um, maybe that's when <laughs> I started repressing it, I don't know. But it didn't really affect me that hard. But yeah, that's what happened. I mean, yeah, and then my mom sort of raised me and my dad... And my head kind of wasn't there, but I'm scared that I'm like giving him, I'm just putting all the blame on him, to be honest. But I better be paying you $450 an hour now that I'm confessing all this. Well wow, you go to a really premium therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, you... But no, that's, I mean, that's, that's my story. And that's probably most people's story of my generation. Like how many marriages work out? The line that comes after that line about your dad
1: jumping ship on your mom is or, or the two lines that come after are in 93 I won my first fight like do double d-o-double-g and obviously that was that was the year that that Snoop Dogg came out
2: yeah still mad at the man I wanted to be yeah um I think at the time I had no connection of those two events right but there's some stage where my mom told me that that yeah I was a real I was really disruptive in class, I don't know if it was because I just learned how to say no and how to rebel. Or if I was mad at the man I wanted to be. And I think I kind of was. I think I was a little bit gutted about it. Um, And you know what? Unrightfully so. I, I don't think I had a right to be. Because he tried to do what he could. And now I find myself in his shoes raising my kid. And it's hard, man. It's hard to have time for your child and your partner. One one thing I've been, cheesy metaphor that I've been talking on but lately is like, if you want to f- feed a, a plant, you water the roots. And I think like we forget to do that when we have children. We forget to water the relationship, like put time into the relationship. Because if you do that, your kid's going to be good. But anyway, I don't think my dad and my mom really did that. And yeah, I guess it kind of upset me, but I just feel like such a brat being upset by that. You know, that's the kind of thing you should just deal with. You know, it's not—it's not your problem. Uh, I, number one, I don't think that's true.
1: Uh, the not your problem part, but uh, number two, I feel like one of the things that I have learned as an adult, and especially yeah. from a- actual therapy, was that it was okay for me to simultaneously believe that things about my childhood caused me emotional problems that I still yeah. grapple with to this day but, yeah. but that that did not mean that my parents weren't and aren't good people who
2: are doing their best yeah i think you know they they're just kids man they're just trying like maybe it's a dangerous thing to to put as much weight as we do on the definition of a parent you know what i mean like there's a Tupac song that says "Mama's just a little girl," and just that sums it up in that line right there, you know. You just, they were just trying; they didn't they didn't know what they were doing, so yeah. But yeah, it's not to say that that your pain isn't real. I just think there's a lot more to be sad about in the world than, than that.
1: In this song, years gone by, you you rap a little bit about the mid aughts. Mm. And it sounds like in the early years of the 21st century,
2: you really got lost. Yeah, I did. Didn't know I was lost, though, like anyone who's lost. But looking back at it, I realized I definitely was. Um, I dropped out of school. School didn't do it for me. I don't know where that started, but at some point I, I I was... more concerned with Nas than Shakespeare, and I—I I didn't relate to what the school system was trying to give me. Maybe that's my excuse for my bad attention span. I don't know. Whatever it was, I went to a public school. Not trying to blame it on that either. But I dropped out of school, and then I worked all these jobs like cleaning hotel beds. That's why I just left a tip at the hotel, I'm in because I know how painful that is. Packing rice in a factory. Um, digging holes for the council, everything. My mama was like, you go pay the rent, you know? Yeah, to be honest, all those jobs showed me, like, they taught me more than anything I ever learned, like the value of a dollar and all of that. Anyway, I got lost somewhere in there because I think it was hard. and, And in New Zealand, in the working class, we work and then we drink. That's what we do. On a Friday night, the liquor store has a line out the door, you know? You work and you drink. And in the process of that, I got a bit lost. And I fell out with my best friend one night. We got way too drunk and we got in a fight. And um, just everything was going wrong. I was with this girl. She left because I was a piece of s***. And um, yeah, I kept doing my music. And I guess music eventually was the remedy that I needed. But um it was yeah, it was a hard time I guess. Looking back. Plus you're too young to know what's going on, you know, thrown out thrown out of the house, sort of figuring it all out. Is that a universal kind of feeling?
1: I got thrown out of the house
2: too. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: I'm I'm a committed rule follower. Uh yeah. which is why I work in public radio. <laughs> but um ew, it's terrifying.
2: Yeah. It was he. I mean it's part of the the right. It's like Rite of Passage cryptic Depression.
1: <laughs> you have a line in the song, uh, where you say then 06, my homie hung in the park where we all hung.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah. We used to, we used to drink in this park in uh, Morningside, all of us, you know, first time we started smoking, you know, we we're smoking mad weed, it's every day, all day, getting into trouble, we're all best friends, you know, and um, one of my bros, he started getting into, like, he was smoking meth and stealing cars, and all sorts of shit. and, um, one night, he crashed this car, and he came around to, the bro's house, and the bro wasn't there, and he left, and I think that night, he, he hung himself in that park, where we used to drink, and, that me up, and, um, yeah, because, in New Zealand, a lot of us do it, a lot of us young men do that, um, I don't know what you guys know about this country but we're a colonised country, you know, I'm someone with the same skin as the colonisers but um, they brought with them, you know, Catholicism and sort of hussed out the, the native people's um culture and beliefs a, tr- a tribal people who would speak about their problems and you know, brought with it this sort of harden up attitude. You know, we th- we thrive at rugby, a sport that's just played by macho dungies, to be honest. Um, and and that's our that's our attitude on things here, harden up. You know, that's something you'll constantly hear people say here, harden up. And there was a thing where you weren't even allowed to talk about suicide on the radio because they thought that that sort of led people to do it. Like we we don't know what. The- doing with this problem we've we got some ideas but we really haven't solved it we got the highest rate of youth suicide in the world and and we got it good we're supposed to be you know clean green new zealand but yeah so everyone in this country probably knows someone who took their life and for me that was a that changed everything for me that 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 day when i found out that my bro had had taken his after that, I just swore that I would never, I'd never let my um, masculinity get in the way of like my emotions ever again, you know. And I'm I'm a tough, I'm a tough kid myself, you know. Um, I'm from a place where you had to know how to fight, and you had to like, you you had to be hard, you know. But I'm I'm over that. It's it's, it's not worth it. I said, you know, like. The amount of times you could be wrong by being positive, I think, outweigh the amount of times you could be wrong being negative, you know? What if you're wrong about your your self-worth, you know?
1: There's a beautiful song on the record called Friends with the R in parentheses, so it also spells fiends
0: old boy sitting in the dark with a light bulb and a ladder in the sand like a pyro. just come put the thing down like an iphone got too high, flipped out like a psycho what's he gonna do was he gonna go now lost i heard he was living in a motel broke up with his old girl then he broke down took it out on the best road, ain't bros now what you really know about about like that 31 years old addicted to crack since way back how you gonna quit like that try kicked that shack it'll kick right
2: back uh move back
1: there are a lot of hip-hop records about drug addiction and they Come mostly from two perspectives, or have mostly come from two perspectives. One is, I do this all the time. This isn't a problem. Hmm. And one is, you know, kind of a classic. Yeah, crackheads are funny hmm. and pathetic. And I mean, I, I don't mean to say that that's every every
2: hip hop song about drug addiction, but that but that's a lot of them. And yeah. I think Nas is definitely. Uh, Yeah, let's make sure that we're not the white guys that say all of African-American music is about drug dealers.
1: No, not at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not at all. But, you know... We're definitely not saying that. eh?
1: Even Nas was laughing at bass heads. Um, Yeah,
2: true. Selling some stolen amps. Yeah. Broken amps? Broken
1: amps, yeah. Um, No, you're right. And Friends is a song that is, like, deeply sympathetic to Mm. people who are deep in drug addiction
2: yeah i think that i think the reason being is that my parents were both fiends my dad still struggles with addiction um they both come from the love movement which you know nothing feels more like love than opiates you know um so i know how to empathize with a fiend and um, that's really the only way to fix it. Like, you know, these people need help. And and we could go a bit deeper into, like, how many people need help because, yeah, I, I just kind of also believe that if you grew the the weed, it's, it's, you know, it's on you to remove it as a, you know, as a society. It's like, that came from something. So, yeah, our addiction problems in New Zealand come from probably our toxic masculinity, you know our refusal to acknowledge colonialism, da-da-da-da-da, there's a whole lot to it. And I think we got to start by empathizing these people that are victims of this system. My, my old man now, he works in a, in a needle clinic um, where they provide like services for people that are addicted to certain substances. And he gets in trouble from the, the management because he's too empathetic to these people. They're like, you can't get attached to these people yeah bloody fiends, you know, and it's a weird way of looking at things, man. It's weird, I don't get it. I don't get it did
1: spending all this time on this record, and you worked on this record for years, and making a record that is so much a kind of record of your life, no pun intended um did it change the way you think about yourself?
2: I think so, because I I now get to reflect on everything. Um, it's like the timer went off. Deed. What do you think of yourself? Okay, ah, that's all the time we have. What do you think of yourself now? So yeah, I think it definitely did. It was a, it was a checkpoint, like I was saying. I I think it it helped me. I, th- I think it really did help. Eh? Like now that you asked that, no one's ever really asked that. But yeah, it helps you see yourself and see where you're at and where you're going Mm. yeah and I now see my I can see myself as a father I can see myself a little bit as a role model and understand what I got to do from here it changed the way I see myself I think I don't really like seeing myself it's frightening but yeah it did Tom I
1: really appreciate you taking all this time to be on Bullseye, it was really great to talk to you.
2: Bruv, I appreciate you taking all this time, man. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you.
1: Tom Scott. Avondale Bowling Club is the name of this project and the record that he dropped last year. It's really special. Let's go out on one more song from the album. This is called Quincy's
0: March. Home, found hope in the mundane. I felt deep in the well-known train clack in the background like Co-Train on the Alto from Friday in the K-Co Saturday at K-Mart. Old days in the haze, my heydays in the hay barn. I lay under the radar in the backyard at peace now at last. Maybe all of this happiness yeah, this ain't as hard as I am.
1: We've come to the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where this week they were shooting a huge prestige cable television drama, And we got to see not only a giant helicopter landing platform, but America's hyphiest football running back. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We got help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by DJ W, the great Dan Wally. Our thanks to him for giving us that music. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation. It's by the band The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And before you go, I've been making this show for almost two decades. That means literally hundreds of interviews, and you can check them all out on our website at MaximumFun.org. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can hear lots of episodes on those platforms as well. And I guess that's about it. Just remember... All great radio hosts have a signature sign-off.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.